You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show Tuesday edition. That is your show, the Twitter Tuesday episode. We will feature your questions all episode long. There's some minor signings, I think, Matt, that we should get into as well as training camps get going here. A couple of uh, rookies actually placed on the COVID list, I'm seeing, and a couple of minor signings. Not not anything major happening right now with signings around the league, but a couple of additions that I think are worth getting into today as we uh, get ready for camp. And I think everybody is officially reporting to camp. Every team in the NFL now officially camping, which is awesome. Yeah, it is. National reporters on training camp tours and things like that. And these teams are tweaking their roster with a player here and there, that type of thing too. And I'm sure we'll get a little bit more of that and, you know, maybe a a, a trade here and there too, but getting a real look at what they have first, you know, right in in front of them. One of the latest, let's just jump into this because we had a question here from JD about the Malik Hooker addition, the, the free safety from Ohio State. He was a high draft pick and now is signing with the Dallas Cowboys. Let's start with that addition first since JD asked about it. Uh, I know Malik Hooker's had a ton of injuries in his career. A lot of people liked him a lot coming out into the draft. He was a first-round pick, and he had so much range. He wasn't really a physical hitter, but looking at a team that might want to run that cover three style of defense, I mean, he would seem to fit with the range necessary to be that center field free safety for the Cowboys. Exactly what he is. You know, obviously, Injuries have held him back dramatically, and he's been out there a while. He's visited some teams. You wonder what the docs had to say about him because he hasn't, you know, wasn't signed quickly. But a lot of talent, ball hawk, uh, deep center fielder type for sure. He very much fits that mold. Better size than some of the middle guys have as well. Um, but and, and that's what Dallas is going to run. I mean, they're going to be a cover three team. I don't think they're going to be a very diverse defense. Try to keep it simple. They made so many mental errors last night, last year. So maybe he'll be in the mix as a starting free. And uh, I often talk about you know safety position. True frees are the hardest thing to find. So he does fit that mold. It's worth the risk. Yeah, I mean, he had a rare ability to go get the ball in center field. Mm-hmm. And, like, he has that skill. And so being on the street this late, I think it's a fantastic signing, especially with, you know, who he's who's he competing with? Uh, DeMonte Casey and uh, Reggie Robinson, who's, I think, a converted cornerback that might be playing free safety there, fourth rounder from last year for the Cowboys. So that's absolutely a need there for that sort of uh, a player. If he is the same guy before and he can stay healthy, then you potentially have a starting caliber free safety in that scheme, which is uh, which is a nice little signing the day before camp. Yeah, I mean, even if he doesn't work out, I think they'll be a lot better off in the middle of the field. All the linebackers they've drafted. They also signed Keanu Neal, who is certainly the Cam Chancellor type, although they called him a lot. I don't know how exactly they plan on using him, but they have some high pedigree guys for sure. Linebacker, safety, middle of the field defenders, you know, Van Der Esch, Smith, Mike Parsons, you know, Jabril Cox. It's funny because Malik Hooker, there was there were folks that liked him better than Jamal Adams in that draft. Yeah, at, I at the that. safety position, Jamal Adams is about to make seventeen or eighteen million dollars per year if he signs a deal pretty soon, and they're in talks right now. And it sounds like everybody wants to get a deal done there in Seattle with Jamal Adams and Malik Hooker sitting there on the street. 
before his fourth season. So that's how different that kind of thing can go uh, for players uh, in the in the first round of the draft. And injuries, the biggest part of that. Yeah, question. But at this point, I mean, you got much not not much to lose. A high talented player fits the scheme perfect. Uh, I'm not sure what there's not to like from a Dallas perspective. Looking at a couple other signings around the league, uh, there is Steven Nelson, I think, is an important one. The Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know why Steven Nelson wasn't able to sign earlier than this, but uh, the, the Eagles release defensive tackle Willie Henry and signed Steven Nelson at cornerback. You've seen him recently. He's got something left in the tank, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought he was very good in, with the Steelers. Um, he has some slot experience going back to Kansas City, but that's he didn't do it well, to be honest with you. The Steelers just left him on the right side of the defense and Joe Hayden on the left. Um, I, I, he was released late in the process, so a lot of teams had already spent their cornerback budget, I imagine, and that didn't help his cause. But, you know, Slay didn't have a great year for the Eagles, and he was asked to follow a lot. Maybe they'll just leave him on the left and Nelson on the right and have a little more stability there. But uh, they really needed a second corner in a bad way. I mean, I, I don't know their depth chart off the top of my head, but it was some names that would be to trust right now. Nelson's a good player. D.D. Westbrook. D.D. Westbrook signed with the Minnesota Vikings. Is that correct? The D.D. Westbrook could be uh-huh. potentially be the number three guy there. But this makes sense for Minnesota. I mean, they don't have... A true number three, uh, both those guys can play the slot, but they don't have that slot-type receiver. I have high hopes for Smith-Marset, you know, but he's a rookie. He's a bigger guy. He's a downfield, you know, uh, outside the numbers, mid-round pick. Um, Westbrook's a big-name guy, great in college, um, never really trans- – I, I think he's been mostly disappointing, to be honest, at this level, but um, worth a shot. A couple other quick notes here to start camp. Not the greatest way to start camp on the COVID list for a couple of rookies. Rams wide receiver Tutu Atwell is on the reserve COVID-19 list, as is Browns linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. And uh, I know a lot has been made recently of uh, the memo sent out by the league and the new rules with uh, forfeits and things for teams and who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated, and Cole Beasley and like... Uh, one of the the assistant it was an assistant offensive line coach retired because of it. Who was that? Yeah. That was uh, what team was that? Shoot, I, I don't know the name off the top of my head. I've been yeah. out of the loop here for the last couple of days. Yeah, but it, man, it, it wasn't a household name coach or anything like that. But um, there are some folks that are dug in that don't want to get vaccinated, and teams need to be at that eighty percent level. And um, that's something that the league definitely clearly wants to avoid. Avoid with that memo they sent out. Yeah, and it sounds like. It's improving, or the numbers are going up at least slower than I can really fathom, to be honest with you. There's a couple teams over 90. Uh, there's a couple teams that are well below 80% still. Uh, it blows me away, but I guess everyone is entitled to their own opinion about you know what they do to their body. But, man, I mean, the league has made it pretty clear that this is very beneficial to um, they made it not beneficial to not get you know tested or to get vaccinated. Right. Not not a big deal for these two rookies, I imagine. I'm sure they will you know be off the list shortly. But they're two prominent names. Yeah, two pretty prominent names. Two second round draft picks. Two two was in the second round, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shockingly, but yes. Right. So um, yeah, monitor those situations. Hopefully, they are not having any symptoms or anything like that. And hopefully, the league doesn't have to go through any of those scenarios of teams vaccinated or not 
having forfeits and games not yeah. happening because the league be does terrible. not want to reschedule. <laughs> um, that would be terrible. Yeah, but let's get into some more of these Twitter Tuesday questions next. Let me tell you about Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all that action at Bet Online. Get the latest news, odds, information, including Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, even all your UFC, MMA action. They got so much going on here. So before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or your mobile device. It's super easy. And check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get in the game as teams preps for their runs for the playoffs as well. Uh, head to the website and or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code Locked On, all one word, all caps, Locked On. That's 50% welcome bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Here we go. Let's start with footballology on Twitter. He says, who are the top five defenses for the upcoming season? I'm thinking hmm. one, Patriots. Okay. Two, Bucks. Three Washington, four Broncos, five Browns. That is a footballogy. His top five defenses putting Patriots right back up at the top to start this season. That's an iffy one for me. Uh, I'm down with some of the rest of these. Washington, Tampa definitely has a good defense. Broncos and Browns should be very good. I would put Patriots behind all of those. I think there's a couple other teams that deserve to be up there as well. I'm checking where he's from. Uh, he does not have. A location. I, I was expecting for sure to see footballogy in New England area, uh, putting the putting Bill Belichick's defense back on top, but I'm sure they will be good this year. Yeah, and I haven't given that a ton of thought. I'm sitting here mostly agreeing with his list, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, all the defenses in the league. A couple I think that need mentioned, I'm not sure there would be in my top five, are Baltimore, um, Buffalo, and the Rams were in contention last year for the best defense in the league. I don't expect that to still be the conversation. I think losing the defensive coordinator was really big for the Rams and depth there concerns me, but I don't, th- you know, see them for see them falling off a cliff. Yeah, with the Rams, um, I would just yeah. add that they're, you know, it's a little precipitous there because you do lose your defensive coordinator and and they were a lot better with him than without him, even with a you know a coach like Wade Phillips, who was the defensive coordinator before that. So it's pretty amazing what Brandon Staley did with that unit and such a, a star-driven defense. If you lose one, just one of Aaron Donald or Jalen Ramsey, how much does that hurt that Rams defense? So that could, you know, and God forbid you lose both if you're the Rams, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, they're a build of a house of cards. Um, I don't know if they'll be in top five contention, but Green Bay has a lot of star power. Uh, I, I think they could be noticeably better than they've been. Um, I'm kind of taking this personally, though. How do you not mention the Steelers? The Steelers and Niners both deserved, I think, to be up there in that conversation for the top five. Buffalo, um, Baltimore, Chicago, those were some of the top defenses in the league last year. And the yeah. Niners and DVOA were top six last year, even with the injuries. And they were the best defense in the league, I think, in 2019, or at least top two. So uh, the Niners and, and Pittsburgh, who had the best defense for DVOA last year and, and really carried that team for those 11 straight wins, absolutely are in that conversation. Yeah, I, I'm sitting here, you know, jotted down some of those names. I was going to mention the Niners as well. I think my top five would go Washington, Pittsburgh, 
New England, I agree with the New England call. I mean, they're going to be, they got hit so hard by COVID and injuries on defense. And I think the defense will be really, really good in New England and play a lot of low scoring games. And then I'm torn between Denver and Tampa for four and five. So I'm going to call them a tie. Okay, fair enough. I would probably not put New England all the way back into the top five just because of how bad it was. And, and I don't know if there's enough additions to make up the difference between, you know, in the 20s all the way up into the top five. But I think they will be good in top 10 and deserve to be in that discussion. I, I, I'd yeah. probably, you know, put, you know, maybe Buffalo and um, Indianapolis. Did they deserve? I think they deserve some consideration there. The Rams. I almost but, mentioned them. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Baltimore is probably the just missed team for me, too. I mm-hmm. think they're always great on defense. I don't yeah. think that's going to change. Washington is that team to look out for. I mean, that defense could carry them into the playoffs easily this year if, uh, you know, depending on how the rest of that division looks. And it, they did last year, at, you know, under 500, and they're going to be better this year. Yeah. And William Jackson to me is a big addition, play a lot more man coverage behind that great pass rush. You don't have to blitz. And I think Jamin Davis is a very sneaky defensive rookie of the year candidate. I don't know what those odds are, but I need to look. I mean, playing behind that line, every down capabilities, uh, I think he's a real impact player, and their linebackers were pretty blocked before that. I also want to throw out the Browns, who he mentioned. I love what they've done to their secondary. I mean, I think their secondary now is deep as well as young and star power, but this was a bad defense a year ago. And I'm not sure that all of a sudden we can get top five. neighborhood. Those Washington Dallas games twice a year will be really fun with Dallas on offense, Washington on defense. And then it's one of those games where you, you flip back to the other channel and see what the other game is when it's opposite and Washington's on offense <laughs> yeah. and Dallas is on defense. Strength versus strength and weakness versus weakness. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe they'll tie twice. Here's one from our good buddy Joshua. We might double dip with Joshua because he always drops us about oh, he's a man. 10 questions every week. And, and uh, we always appreciate him. Mean, he comes up with really good questions, too. Like, I don't know if that's a marketable skill, Joshua, but if you could get paid for coming up with good questions, uh, you should try to find a way to do that. Um, Joshua says, how do we rank Najee Harris and Travis Etienne against... Talent-wise, up against the other top backs from last year's draft, like Clyde Edwards, Larry Jonathan Taylor, uh, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, and those guys. Swift, I guess, would be the last one. Mm-hmm. I Actually, I make this mistake a lot. When I talk about last year's running back class, I thought those five stood alone. But I think Antonio Gibson needs to be mentioned in that group, too. I yes. mean, there's five people out there clamoring for James Robinson. I mean, he was the most productive of the group. But you just talk talent. Gibson might be ahead of ATN, Javante Williams, and Najee, as well as everyone in his class. Just gifts. I think Gibson might be number one. I think if you go back to draft day and you stack them all up, what order would they be drafted in? Yeah. I think Harris and ATN go before all of them. I do, too. Like, I thought Edwards Alaire was a reach in the first round that uh, – only a Super Bowl winning team. The Chiefs are probably the only ones that would have considered them. Dobbins was my favorite at the time, and he still might be. I think he's a really good player. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor has obvious talent. I mean, Taylor versus Harris, I think, is a conversation as a every down back power player, big bodied guy. Harris to me is just a much better receiver. 
Yeah, just the completeness of Harris, and I think yeah. the explosive ability of ATN would have kept them above the rest in that class last year, even though those are all really nice players. And mm-hmm. to me, they're, they're, they're all very close. And then in hindsight, absolutely throwing Gibson in that mix as well as the undrafted rookie in Robinson. Yeah. Uh, would you definitely take ATN over Swift? I would. ATN's faster. Yeah, I would. Um, ATN is one of my favorite running backs right now in fantasy drafts just because yeah, I, I just don't think even the undrafted rookie in in, uh, in Robinson is going to hold him back from being the guy in Jacksonville. So I, I love mm-hmm. ATN, uh, his talent. It's going to win out, I think. And then when you're talking about receiving ability on top and, and targets that potentially Harris and ATN could both get, here's a good question, though, is... Javante Williams, how does he stack against those guys? Is he behind the other group, or does he deserve to be in consideration above those guys from last year, too? You and I have been doing this for a while now. I was about to just do the same thing. Like, what if we plumped him in? Because what? I mean, Denver traded up for him early second round. Those top three backs this year went in a very short you know, number of, of picks. I think the big five plus Gibson to me are all still above Williams, who I like a lot, and I own him in a lot of dynasty leagues. I think he's going to be a really good pro. But if I were, you know, picking them right now, I would draft Swift, Dobbins, Akers, especially, you know, his injuries, obviously an asterisk to this, uh, asterisk, but uh, Antonio Gibson, I think Gibson might have the highest ceiling. Um, Williams, to me, doesn't have a super high ceiling. Here's one from Joshua, and I think we've kind of covered this a little bit, but maybe we haven't made it clear. He says, for years now, there has been talk about Green Bay not drafting a receiver. How come the same criticisms aren't thrown out at New Orleans, especially now that Michael Thomas is going to miss some time? Yeah, it's a great conversation. And part of it's because the Saints haven't made many picks lately. (laughs) You know, I mean, they've targeted a few guys. They've only made a handful of picks over the last two years. But it blows me away. Like when I was doing mock drafts, I would often give them Kadarius Tony or uh, even Elijah Moore. You know, I thought that was the need. And, you know, they they did lose Hendrickson. And so they, you know, they're going to look to replace him with a young pass rusher. But it almost feels like philosophically speaking, they don't value receivers as much as other teams. I mean, even Michael Thomas was a two. Traquan Smith hasn't done much. They haven't you know, brought in much in the way of free agents. Manuel Sanders was fine. I think you and I mentioned before, you know, we're both excited about Troutman, but yeah, he's he's a heck of a lot different than a wideout, you know? Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things is just the narrative in the media and just how publicized it's been with Aaron Rodgers and, and not only not drafting a receiver, but you go get yourself a quarterback instead. And so I think that's, that's just it, really yeah. been a, a big part of that, but it's pretty clear that um, with Michael Thomas going down, yeah, they maybe should have put some more resources there. And I think I had Terrace Marshall from right there at LSU in my mock draft going to mm. New Orleans. And I had the Packers actually taking a corner because I think that was more pressing than even wide receiver for the Packers in the draft. So I'm not surprised they went in that direction at all. But um, Packers yeah. have drafted their share of day two guys, though. I mean, including Amari Rodgers and, and yeah, Randall and, Cobb. And, and that's and, where yeah. Michael Thomas was. That's where Devontae Adams was. That's the sweet spot for receivers. So in yes. a lot of ways, that's the right way to go about it. If I was a GM and I was writing my plan, I would probably say, hey, let's target wide receiver in round two more so than round one. Yes. I mean, you and I talk about that a lot, and I think it's a really good conversation that 
the day two guys, especially the the, the second round you know, players at the wide receiver position, have been flat out better than the first year guys. Mm-hmm. And there's been some remarkable values there. DK Metcalf at the end of the round, things like that. So as we were chatting there, I just pulled up the Saints draft history. And I mean, the seventh rounder on Kawan Baker in this draft, no receivers the year before that. Um, 2019, zero receivers. 2018, um, they took Traquan Smith with the 91st pick, who's make it or break it time. But the draft before that, nothing. You know, the draft before that was the Sheldon Rankins draft when they took Michael Thomas, but very little. I mean, not even fifth rounders. And New Orleans has been very veteran heavy with that other wide receiver. You know, there's been Ginn, mm-hmm. there's been Emmanuel Sanders, and, and they've kind of gone that route rather than draft and develop at wide receiver, which I think deserves some criticism. I think it does too. Um, I think it's pretty clear what they want in their receiver is like, I think Michael Thomas is the Marquise Colston, you know, like they've been there long enough that we know the types Thomas is better than Colston, but they want a big physical guy that gets a lot of targets and then playing in that dome. They always want a burner. I mean, Devery Henderson, you know, um, some of these other names, Dante Stallworth, you know, some of the early picks they've used, you know, since Peyton has been there or in recent memory, Robert Meacham, that was the name I was, I was thinking of the 2007 first rounder. Like they want a guy that can fly and basically that's all he can do. And oh, by the way, Brandon Cooks is somewhat of that guy too. You know, he was someone that Brandon Cooks had a weird career, but interesting one. Oh yeah, Brandon Cooks. Yeah, that's a, that's another one going going to, uh, with the speed opposite the mm-hmm. the target hog there uh, in New Orleans. There you mentioned Troutman. Uh, there was a question about Troutman and Cole Komet and our thoughts on year two for those two tight ends. Really excited about Troutman, and he was my favorite tight end in that draft. Um, I, I put marginal stock in Pro Football Focus's you know blocking grades, but he was really high and their list there and that showed up although in limited snaps so i think he's going to be a high quality player uh the thomas injury certainly will help his production in my opinion and they didn't you know bat an eye to let jared cook go who's better than people think i mean he could help the chargers uh Komet, i also like i mean i think he was very worthy of a second round guy um that would be an interesting conversation too like Friar moves versus Komet versus Troutman, you know, and obviously Kyle Pitts stands alone for recent, you know, tight ends to enter the league. Komet got better and better. I wish Jimmy Graham wasn't there, but that's not something I'm holding against Komet. Yeah. So I think both have bright futures. I don't know that there's going to be ever in the top five tight ends in the league or anything. Right. And when you look at potential for fantasy production this year and target share with with no Michael Thomas obviously that mm-hmm. points to Troutman I think yes. but Cole Komet was drafted earlier and Cole Komet is you know taller better 40 time 47 versus 48 uh you know and, and had more production last year 28 catches to I think Troutman only had like 16 15 16 catches so there is reason to be hopeful in Cole Komet in year 2 to potentially have a breakout, especially with a better yeah. better quarterback play in Chicago. So uh, yeah. Cole Komet's absolutely somebody who is a sleeper in your fantasy leagues and could give a lot more production than people are giving credit for. And uh, basically, you just want to see him get a bunch of snaps and I think um, 
the you know, the death rattle of Jimmy Graham's career should not hold back Cole Komet. Oh, by the way, and they just signed Jesse James to uh, to back up both those guys, or maybe hmm, compete okay. with Jimmy, and maybe they they maybe they'll cut Jimmy Graham. I don't know. That sure sounds like a lot of two tight end sets to me. The signing of James mixed in with Graham, who you don't want to play a lot of snaps. Um, last note on Komet that I think is noteworthy. Often talk about how tight ends mature later than other positions. Usually their peak age is right around 27. And at Notre Dame, he was a two-sport athlete. So, you know, he he didn't spend 365 days working on becoming a better tight end like he does now. So maybe he is ready for a step forward. Cole Komet, by the way, uh, was the backup tight end in my Locked On NFL Dynasty League. And my starting tight end, George Kittle, got poached in our expansion draft. Uh, did that happen? So I'm hoping for a Cole Komet breakup. I'd be searching for a tight end if I were you. But <laughs> I, I do think in the dynasty world, he would be a buy low candidate for me. I mean, I bet his stock's reasonably low. It wouldn't take you a lot to acquire him, and I'd be kicking the tires on that. It might be as low as the stock goes. Absolutely. I totally agree there. So uh, let's hope... Cole Komet does break out. Let's finish up this Twitter Tuesday next. RockAuto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Convenient self-service at RockAuto.com where you can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, jumper cables, even new carpet for your classic cars, your daily driver. Get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle, choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer, and best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers alike. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. A really quick note here. This is a tweet not from a listener. Well, I think he's a listener to the show. He's been on our show. Jason from uh, OverTheCap.com runs everything over there, does a fantastic job. Oh, yeah, we talked work. a little bit about Chandler Jones from the Arizona Cardinals who asked for a trade. If there was potentially a trade in the works there, these are the teams that currently have enough cap space to trade for Chandler Jones without reworking any other contracts. So there's actually more teams than I thought that would be able to fit Chandler Jones with, I think, $20 million under their salary cap. The Jaguars, the Broncos, the Panthers, the Jets, Chargers, Browns, Lions, 49ers, Bengals, and Washington. Washington Can you read them off real quick? Yeah, yeah. Again, I'm just going to respond to each one. If okay, you so the Jaguars, a need, not a team that Chandler Jones probably super interested in going to, right? Right, but if they think they're kind of good, that wouldn't be a terrible idea. You know, bring him in, those those young um, Chase on and Allen, he could rotate with those guys, kind of mentor that young room. I don't hate it. They won't be top, you know, my favorite on the list. Broncos? Maybe, but that's, I mean, they have Chubb and Miller. Yeah, I, I think you're just happy with what you got. Unnecessary there. Uh, yeah. How about the Carolina Panthers? That one I like. I mean, you put him opposite Brian Burns, that would be as good a pass rushing duo as we got in the league, I think. 
they did draft. I don't know that I'd want to give up first-round picks or anything, though, if I'm Carolina. Yeah, they, need, they need to make sure they've got the quarterback thing figured out, so I would yeah. hold on to that first-rounder if I was them, probably, and try to continue that development. Um, who was their early second-round pick at defensive end last year? They, they went Gross back. Matos, oh, Gross Matos. They signed yeah. Reddick as well, who's a little different, mm-hmm. but, you know. So, so yeah, some probably players. just hold tight. This one is actually the dark horse here. How about the New York Jets? Makes some sense. With I mean, Robert Sala's scheme, it's all about yeah, yeah. the the edge rush. This is something they still very much need there. They had to go quarterback early in this draft. There wasn't a pass rusher to draft. That could be what that Jets defense needs to really be supercharged. And I think this team is absolutely on the come up. Um, again, maybe not the, the top choice for someone like Chandler Jones, but need and maybe somebody who doesn't need to worry about first-round picks that much? I mean, you don't want to just give up a high, high first-round pick for a guy who's only under contract for one year, and then that end up being a top-five pick. Right. I don't know that you're going to take a, a first, but, I mean, that would probably be the asking price to start. Uh, the Jets have an underrated group of defensive tackles led by Quinn and Williams. You put Jones opposite Lawson. I think your front would finally be complete since, like, the John Abraham days or – Maybe the Mark Gastineau days. <laughs> wow. Chargers. Do you that's pay, my favorite one. Do you pay that much with Bosa and Jones? Because that's the only question. Otherwise, it's it's number one on this list. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's just so much to have invested in those two. Those are two massive contracts. But I, I you know, they have, uh, oh, the kid from USC is, is penciled in to you know, take over that edge spot with Melvin Ingram gone who could be a breakout-type guy, but I think Bosa could really use a companion. Washington doesn't have the need. They're already strong up front. No. The 49ers not getting traded into that division. Right. Uh, the Lions are in rebuild mode, so that one doesn't make sense. So the last two teams here are in Ohio, the Bengals and Browns. Browns don't have the need, really. They've already got their one-year guy with Clowney to go across. Right. From, I just uh, think Jones is so much better than Clowney. And Clowney is at his best, really, when he kicks inside to me. That would be an all. I mean, we were talking about the Browns defense not being super high on my list, but that addition to me would put them super high on my list. But the one thing about the Browns is they have some money right now, but they have a lot of big contracts looming. You know, like their window could be very short if they got too aggressive with a a move like that, especially if it cost them a first round pick. Right. they got to pay Baker and Ward and some of these other guys, you know. So That's, that would be a very aggressive move. Yeah, that $20 million, If you, you would much rather roll that over, I'm sure, if you're the Browns, it's unless Miles Baker, Garrett or Jamie you know, right. Clowney get hurt or something like that, and that'll help you out next year. Yeah, and that offensive line is going to be expensive, and they have a lot of money invested on the offense already that isn't the quarterback. So they have some big contracts. I don't know about the Bengals. Yeah, they could absolutely use them. Mm-hmm. I bet he would not be super excited about that. Um, they just gave another one we didn't mention. They gave Sam Hubbard pretty good money yesterday or the day before. And then they also paid Hendrickson. So I don't think they think they need him, but I'm not sure I agree with them. Mm-hmm. Chargers, Jets, maybe Panthers, maybe Jaguars. Yeah. I think those those are the top four that stand out to me of that right. group. I bet he's a Cardinal. I think so, too. Yeah. I I don't think we'll see him get moved. I think it's just a little power play before your last year so you can get that deal early. Yeah, I think so, too. Which, it's a good move. That's what I'd be telling him if I was his agent. A last one here. Scouts will always talk about how they prefer players cross-training in other sports like baseball and basketball. This 
a question from at ultimate underscore HHV. Middle name Hans is one of those H's. Um, Does J.J. Watt, T.J. Watt shine light that hockey may be the best sport to cross-train with? Balance, physicality, foot speed, hand strength, all on display in hockey. And he adds uh, Benjamin St. Just, a good case study as well. Has hockey given him great change of direction, anticipation, foot speed, etc.? I've never thought of that because there's been so few prospects that were star hockey players. And I bet there's more and more of them. And I could go on and on about this conversation because especially in my recruiting background, you ran into a lot of high school athletes that were at, you know, several sport you know, guys, of course. And for the most part, I could really go into, boy, I think it's really helpful for linemen to wrestle or throw shot put like Werfs or tight ends to play basketball and on and on and on. And even, you know, Mahomes and Russell Wilson playing baseball. I mean, it, the shortstop mentality of getting it out of your hands quick and things like that. Hockey balance comes to mind. You know, a lot of hockey players, not only on two blades, but you're pretty low built to the ground and sturdy. I mean, you you do see some taller, longer guys, but I do think balance and core strength, certainly leg strength is obviously a hockey trait. (sighs) Hand-eye coordination, you know, seeing the ice, like this question kind of talks about, you know, Gretzky could see the whole ice, you know, and it it had great spatial awareness and certainly toughness. I mean, there aren't many hockey players that aren't tough. I would think hockey would be really beneficial for like a slot receiver. Somebody that has to hmm. see the field and know, feel where people are and feel where the soft spot and zones are and not flinch when someone hits you when you don't see it coming. Yeah. Operating in tight spaces a mm-hmm. lot. You know, hockey players in front of the net in the corners are, you know, fighting for a small object in a tight area, getting hit from all angles. Yeah. I could see that quickness. I mean, I think there's a, a change of direction and a quickness of, Hockey players that slot receivers would correlate to, for sure. You brought up baseball. That's one of the big things I saw. I, I don't know how much baseball Zach Wilson played, but obviously uh, Patrick Mahomes played a lot, and his dad played in the major mm-hmm. leagues. And you see some of those throws where like, that's a second baseman turning a double play. Yes, you know? yes, uh, without question. It comes out quick. Uh, strange arm angles, those type of things. And conversely, I think it helps a quarterback to play baseball but not as a pitcher, even though they've got a great arm, because the pitcher's release is more elongated. And you see some of those guys who are pitchers and big strapping quarterbacks, and they have a little bit of a longer release. So you want your you want your um, your quarterback son to play maybe middle infield, maybe outfield more so than than pitch. I think you're right. And I think that's a new concept. You know, they, you didn't hear that a lot of, um, and the, and those qu- quarterbacks now they, they throw those quick RPOs or you know on the run really does remind me of a second baseman shortstop get it out quick guy Uh, another one that I love mentioning is Drew Brees was supposedly an awesome tennis player and just think of the lower body mechanics of tennis and delivering a blow or flipping your hips keeping your feet far apart not getting too tight with your feet a balance, lower body. I could really see that in the quarterback, especially how they move around the pocket. Yeah, footwork in the pocket. Josh Rosen was a big-time tennis player, too. Oh, was he? Yeah, I think there's a few more. So tennis is absolutely yeah. a good one footwork-wise for quarterbacks. So, yeah, it just helps to, to play more sports, I think. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, as a rule of thumb, especially from recruiting, it was very beneficial. Competition is good. It's just a, right. It's just good all around. And, you know, sort of work some other – you don't want repetitive stress on the one thing and just be in the weight room all off season. You know, you, you work some other muscle groups. And um, I, I think it's just, yeah, always, always have your kids play multiple sports, even if mm-hmm. you want them to focus on one. And obviously one can take precedent over the others. Um, you mentioned, so the baseball stuff and with the off-platform throws of the quarterbacks, this is when you know a quarterback and a, and a player is, is impactful in changing the game like Patrick Mahomes. Have you seen any clips of like, you know, Elite 11 or, you know, seven-on-seven camps with high school players and stuff? All of the highlight clips are off-platform. Like, these guys are practicing mm. it now where back in the day, your coach would sit your ass on the bench if you tried some of those throws. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. And I even heard Aaron Rodgers used to, routinely practice without his feet on the ground. And I think that's kind of what kind of got him in trouble a little bit before LaFleur showed up in these previous years, too much impromptu stuff instead of focusing on the fundamentals. But I think you're right that throwing off platform and a lot of these things are becoming fundamentals where they weren't before. Zach Wilson, I just remembered he was big basketball player more than baseball. That's what Zach Wilson's. Oh, okay. Other sport okay. Was you know running the point? I think. I say if he's a point guard, I like the sound of that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're out of time yeah. here, but that's a fun conversation. We could probably go all day on that. Thank you so much, everybody, for all of your questions. And Matt, I guess we're getting to the points training camp now. We're gonna have to get into the the two minute drill format again for this season, right? Where we make sure we cover all of the divisions, spend at least two minutes on yeah. every division in the league. I think we might have to start firing that up next week now that we're in camp and and, and go around the league a little bit. Yeah, that's a good call. I like it. You got to do it. All right. And we'll talk to you then right here. Peacock and Williamson.